Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Well, thank you for listening to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name's Ryan. I serve as uh, one of the pastors at Journey. I'm really honored to get to uh, host again this week. Uh, we just returned from youth camp uh, where Pastor Christian preached several messages to our high school students. And so we're we're talking mostly from 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 and in a message called Bringing Camp Home. Uh, welcome. We're glad you're listening. Uh, so many folks uh, join us from around the country, around the Kansas City area. You can always check out the sermon uh, on our JCI app. YouTube or on our takethejourney.cc website. Always a great way to uh, tune in and learn more. Uh, people tune in on a regular basis for practical ideas on growing their faith. So we're glad you're tuning in today. Got a real uh, challenging message that we hope will challenge you as well. Pastor Christian, can you give us uh, just a, a recap of how God worked in the hearts of students and leaders this week at camp? Yeah, so we shared it on Sunday, Ryan, and we actually talked about this in last week's podcast a little bit. I mean, anytime a follower of Jesus just gives him a week and specifically gives him a week as a part of community. So uh, leaders with other leaders or adults on a mission trip or students with students, um, what, what God's church is through his spirit comes alive. So if you, if you were to ask me what does camp feel like for someone who's never been to youth camp for someone who's never been on a mission trip for someone who's never been a part of a, you know, an old tent revival over the course of a week where God is moving. You say, what does it feel like to be a part of that? Um, draining and exhausting for sure. Yet in the midst of that, here's how I would describe what the week feels like. If you just step into it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, Henry Blackaby in his tremendous uh, devotional work, Experiencing God, says, find out where God is working and go there. God was working at youth camp. And when God is working, the overflow of God, uh, the outflow of God is his Holy Spirit. And those attributes that we just listed from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of God's Spirit, that's what it feels like. Kids this week experience God's love. Kids this week experience God's joy. Kids this week experience God's peace. Kids this week were challenged to faithfulness. Adults this week had to learn to be patient. Um, adults this week had to learn to deal with kids in difficult situations with patience and gentleness. Um, kids who have never really engaged before had all of a sudden the fruit of kindness living out of them. We all learned a little bit about self-control in different areas of life and surrendering things to Jesus. I would just say, um, anytime you go where God is working, the outflow of God is the Holy Spirit. And the, in the Holy Spirit is what's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. It just exudes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In most cases, not in all cases, but in most cases, a week like youth camp brings the spiritual best out of everyone in 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 pressing scenarios right i mean you got some senior high rooms with nine kids in a room and one bathroom some middle school rooms with 40 kids in a room um you know kind of a bunkhouse sleeping with five or six leaders and 
you know, if, if you have one sixth grader, imagine having 30 and them all sleeping in the same room together and using the same bathrooms and still being able to experience God and joy in that. Like, that's what it means to have the Holy Spirit working. And for the vast majority of people, um, you see their spiritual best. So for leaders to get to spend time with God, to get to spend time with spiritual community, to get to spend time in discipleship, um, to get to spend time in services, it's our four E's all day, every day. Experience God through worship. Um, in, in, embrace serving. How can we help one another um, engage in authentic spiritual community um, and equip with this, get equipped with a spiritual growth plan. Like everything it takes to live through the spiritual experiences of the book of Acts happened all day, every day at camp and, and God moved in in incredible ways. We talked about in the service, uh, more than 50 students have made spiritual decisions. Many of them for the first time ever, 27 students, um, who were, who were baptized eight that were called to ministry. I mean, just the hand of God that was on it and the future kingdom of God will look different because of what happened in Panama City this week. Yeah, and I love the story of one of the guys who was down there, one of the leaders down there for just some help with logistics and be a real support to the camp who who made just a, a real strong recommitment and got baptized himself. So, And then just to hear him say, man, I really want to pour into students more, and I thought, amen. I yep, love it. That's what it's all about. Yes. Uh, for the message you pulled, uh, the camp messages you preached together, uh, you pulled them all together so you could bring camp home to our church. You taught each night out of First uh, Kings 18 and 19, the final night. We we know that each student and leader is in a spiritual battle in life, similar similar to what we see with Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. Can you describe this this battle we see and and kind of has you talked about who the prize fighters are? I believe you called it a, a showdown on Carmel. Yeah, so I I covered that so clearly in the message. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna shift your question a little yeah. bit because there's so much from camp I wanted to say that I didn't get to say. Uh, so the prize fighters, I mean, we covered in great detail. If you want to know who Baal, Asherah, and Yahweh are, go listen to the message. It's yeah. all in there. But the the way that the enemy, the way that the spiritual enemy, Satan uses Baal and Asherah. So Satan from his first temptation in the garden of Eden has tried to get humanity to trust in what they can see and touch and feel to trust what they can control rather than to give up control. And he's tried to get them to question whether or not God is fair. So like that was the first, the first act of Satan the first threat against Yahweh, the God of Israel, um, was against Adam and Eve. God saying, hey, this is something you can see, feel, and touch, but I need you to trust me. It's not for you. It was Satan saying, listen, God does not know everything that's best, and he's not even always here. Like, where is he right now? You can't always see him. You can't always feel him, but the fruit on that tree, you can see it, you can feel it, you can touch it. You are in control of whether you take that. Take life into your own hands. Put your trust in something you can control. That's Baal. Baal was the God that represents my work, but my work represents my control. Satan tries to get us to put our trust and security in something we can control because he knows he can take that away from us. So we talked about a young kid in our church who's going to be drafted in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft next year who went through a slump in the first time in his life because he's just always been better than everyone he's played against, who got to the end of that and realized my identity is not in Jesus, it's in baseball. Satan convinced him to put his identity in baseball because you can take baseball away. 
He, Satan cannot take Jesus away. So Satan wants us to, our, our bail is he wants us, he wants us to put our trust in something we control rather than putting our trust in the one who's in control, even though we can't always see and feel him. That's always going to be a threat to your life. And Asherah represents this same moment in the garden where Satan said, is this really God's standard? And Adam and Eve gave a very clear yes. And Satan said, well, that's not fair. And they immediately kind of resonated with that. You're right. You're right. That's not totally fair. So anytime we hear in life a standard of God in our first thought is, man, that's not fair. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the voice of the enemy. And I think more than identifying the prize fighters of First Kings 18, because we did that so well in the message, yeah. I think it's, it's important to identify what is behind the prize fighters, and it's the spiritual enemy trying to get you to trust what you can control rather than who's in control, even though he's unseen, and to get you to question whether or not God is good and whether or not God is fair and what he asks you to do. What you have to remember is what I see in front of me makes this seem not fair, but my trust is in the one who's unseen and the things I don't see. So it seems unfair, but it must not be. So I'm just going to trust God and keep moving forward. I think that's a great test for yourself. If often when you read scripture and instead of having it move you to be closer to him, you often say that's not fair. Yeah, you may need to ask, who am I listening more to? Am I listening more to the Holy Spirit or to uh, what scripture teaches? Because, Ryan, they're both speaking every time you read scripture. Like you, you have you have to understand, pouring yourself into scripture does not create a lockbox around your heart and mind. I think it actually makes the voice of Satan uh, louder in your life because uh, he's aware that you're pouring yourself in spiritually, and I think he dispatches one of his demons from hell to try to get in your head. Yeah. Um, this showdown on Carmel uh, brought about a, a showdown in the heart. Uh, you reference First Kings eighteen twenty one. It says, Elijah went from the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. As we've been talking about these discipleship tracks, the life discipleship track is a way to challenge people to to apply to their lives what they learn in Scripture. So what did you hope each student might come to realize and begin to live out based on this truth from 1 Kings 18? So two things. One, the spiritual reality that if you ultimately put your faith in anything but Jesus, it has the ability to be taken from you and probably will be at one of the darkest moments in your life. And we said in the first message of camp that one of the saddest realities in life, when you choose to place your faith in something other than God, or you outright reject God in the community of God, when everything goes haywire, it said that the prophets of Baal, here's how it described them. No one was paying attention to them. Nobody was listening to them. No one even cared about them. The great thing about the church of Jesus when it works well, and it doesn't always, but when it works well, and when you choose to live in spiritual community, and when you show up time after time, and when you ask for help, and when you get involved, is that when you're hurting, hopefully there are people who know, people who care, and people who are doing something. Now, if if you live a life of solitude and you're not engaged and you're not in community, that may not be happening. But if you're living in spiritual community, hopefully Satan won't be able to pull the rug out from under your feet without somebody being there to catch you. I think the other thing is that we have we have to realize that Satan's attack on our soul is to get us to question the goodness of God. I mean, that's what that's really what Satan is is trying to do. 
He's trying to do it on Carmel with the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. He's trying to do it in the Garden of Eden. So when you study theology, you learn three of the primary characteristics, attributes of God are his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. Omniscience, he knows everything. Omnipotence, he's all-powerful. Omnipresence, he's everywhere all at once. Satan wants to convince you that God is not in control, so you have to take control over your own life. That he's not omnipresent, that he's not everywhere all at once, so you got to fend for yourself. And that he doesn't know everything, so you got to trust him. Remember, the the tree that Adam and Eve ate from in the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I find it so interesting that Satan basically, Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve was was this. And I, I hope all of our listeners will lean in right now and listen closely. Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve was this. You should be able to choose what is right and wrong. Do not give God that authority over your life. The knowledge of what is good and the knowledge of what is evil should be in your hands, not God's hands. So scripture says the exact opposite. Scripture says in Proverbs that the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding is the fear of the Lord. We say, what do you mean by the fear of the Lord? It basically means this, to know there's not a God, to know there's a God and you're not him is the beginning of finding wisdom and understanding because to know there's a God and to know you're not him means someone else has to tell you what is true. So so Proverbs says the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is to understand there isn't a right, there is a right and a wrong, but you didn't choose it. So you got to go find it. Satan wants to convince Adam and Eve of the exact opposite of that in the garden. Do not let somebody else choose for you what is right and what is wrong. We hear this all the time in our society with your truth. Find your truth, my truth, my truth. It's like, no, no, no. There's only the truth, not your truth, my truth. Like we can't have separate truths if there's absolute truth. So I think what we wanted our students to learn was you can trust God. He does know everything. You can trust God. He will never leave you. You can trust God. He is strong enough to help you. We we kind of put into their terminology in it, in their world, the theological attributes of omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence. God is good. He knows what is right. He's always with you. And he's, and he's strong enough to help you. And hopefully our kids came away not only knowing that for themselves, but also knowing that for their friends in some way, being able to repeat, not just believe and receive those messages, but being able to repeat them to their friends as as they talk to their friends. So like actually apply them to their life in real time situations. Great truth. You may want to listen to those three characteristics of God again. Those are important to understand and to know. Uh, helping students and leaders understand the truth of the Bible was not only an important part of camp, it's an important part of our church every single Sunday and and is why we formed the scripture track for discipleship at our church. As as you talked about the false god of Asherah, you you made this statement, your spirituality determines how you live sexually or your sexuality determines how you live spiritually. Can you help our listeners understand why this is so important to know biblically? Well, I think all of all of life starts with a foundation and a worldview of something. You and I were able to do a QA and a after our, after our message on Wednesday night of biblical sexuality. We sat on the stage, and for nearly 90 minutes, we allowed kids to text in questions anonymously so they would have freedom to be able to ask whatever they wanted to ask without feeling like they needed to be exposed. 
and someone ask, um, like, why would you still trust a book? It's 2000 years old. So many things, so many things have changed. And we said that really is, that really is the right question. That is the question behind every other question. It, it's the question we just talked about. It's the question that Pilate asked as he was standing before Jesus, before he had him crucified. What's truth? What's truth? Where's it come from? How do we know it? When does it change? How does it change? Does it change? That's the right question. Why do we trust a book? So we told our students, like, we, we don't believe that the Bible is an old book. We believe it's an eternal book. We believe that when God spoke truth 2,800 years ago on Mount Carmel, and when he had Jesus speak truth 2,000 years ago in Israel, that he knew what was happening in 2021, so he had their truth on that day also apply to our truth today. So the Bible's not an old book, it's an eternal book, and everything it said was said with 2021 in mind. It didn't get written before anyone knew what was going to happen in 2021. It got written with 2021 and 2031 and 2121 with those in mind. Which means because the Bible is timeless, it's always timely. So the question today of where do we find answers about sexuality, the answer is the Bible. Because it's timeless, it's always timely. It has the answer for that question right now. Where do I find information about how to follow Jesus with the way that I am shaped sexually? You go to what the Bible says. Because when it was written, it had your question right now in mind, and it has answers to it real time. You're not reading what used to be the answer. You're reading what is the answer and will still be the answer 200 years from now when you're reading the Bible. It's not an old book. It's an eternal book. And because it's timeless, it's always timely. And we have chosen at our church to live and die on the foundation of Scripture. Um, and in, and until Scripture is broken or until archaeology uncovers or history proves the things in it not to have happened and the truth in it not to have been trusted, then we're, we're going we're gonna to keep letting that be the rock that we stand on, the ministry of Jesus and his teaching, believing that if he showed up in Kansas City and spent three years here, he would say the exact same things and he would mean them because they're still true. And the good news is the more they dig stuff up, the more it confirms what we believe and what we understand. Is there's true. no, there's no doubt about it. It's easier to believe the Bible in 2021 than it was in 1921 just because of archaeology and maybe specifically because of the, the find of the Dead Sea Scrolls that show us that the Hebrew scriptures that we have in our Bible are the exact same as they were a hundred years before Jesus even lived. Yeah. You finished your message talking about the slowdown on Horeb, and you spent time teaching from First Kings 19. The hope was to help students develop a plan to succeed spiritually when they got home. For those who are listening, why is this plan essential for them to have as well? So I, I taught the students a plan that God gave to an adult. So I did not on Sunday teach the adults the plan that helps students. I taught the students a plan that helps adults because Elijah was a grown man and Elijah was a grown man who had walked with God, done ministry for God, seen tremendous ministry of God. And he was just so discouraged that he, he wanted to give up. 
most students probably won't get to the point of Elijah in First Kings 19. But most adults, I, I should say probably every adult will. Because once you live a little bit of life, and once you experience a little bit of church, and once you are disappointed by a faith community, once you've had a few mountaintop experiences and come down from those, that's when you question if you're strong enough to go on or even if you even want to go on. So the plan that we gave for the students was written for a tired adult Christian. So what we, so what we gave the adults was really probably written more for them than students. But the plan is, listen, if you are an adult who has been worn out by what the culture is doing spiritually and even how the faith community is responding or even the tension within your own faith community. God has a message from you on Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, and it's this. Get close enough to him to hear him whisper. And as you hear him whisper and stay really close to him, he's going to say, you, you, need some, you need some spiritual community. You need an accountability partner. You need a man or a woman in your life. Your first call has got to be the most spiritual person that you know. And, and you got to choose people who are moving in the same direction as you spiritually. Um, it won't be natural, but they're there and you got to make it important. You got to, ch- you got to choose them. And we talked, we talked in, we talked in church this weekend. If there's a man or a woman who's been coming to journey for any amount of time who has no spiritual community, it's because they've chosen not to engage. Um, not, not our fault, not God's fault. They've chosen not to keep fighting for their, uh, Elisha. And their community of 7,000. We got lots of people in our church. We got lots of people in our church looking for other people in our church. Um, they just got to get involved. They got to get involved and they got to stay involved and they'll find their Elisha and they'll find their community. And if they stay really close to God, even that process, even if it could be rocky, will work out well. As you mentioned in the message, um, I, I did these things and it changed my life. Yep. Um, but I've had to keep doing these things. Yes. I didn't do it once 17 years ago. I right. had to keep doing it. Over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Even though I'm in full-time ministry, I'm not arrived. I've still got to have people in my life. I've still got to be in the Word. I've still got to have accountability. Since Jesus called us to be disciple-makers, I'm in Matthew 28, and again, this is our leadership track, helping people to learn how to disciple others and grow as a disciple. What, what one or two uh, takeaways would you want our listeners to share with someone else? So I think the portion on biblical sexuality, but you can take sexuality out and you can replace it with the word morality. I think until we under, until we have the worldview that we're born broken, but we can be redeemed, that redemption means surrender and that surrender is honor. I think that, that, and we went over that really fast in the message, but I think all of us who are trying to help someone else spiritually, we have to start there. When we wonder, why am I addicted to this? And why am I tempted by this? And why am I drawn to that? And like, all I want is Jesus, but I keep doing these stupid things. We got to acknowledge our sin nature. We have to acknowledge that we've been redeemed. We've got to surrender that sin nature because that's how you honor Jesus. I think that plays in every area of life from my language to my gossip to, um, to my sexuality, to my family to my friends, to my finances, that plays in every area. The way you are born and bent will want to do it the wrong way. Because of Jesus, you can do it the right way. You'll you'll have to surrender that. It won't be natural. Surrender's never a good thing. It's always a hard thing. It's putting your hands up and giving someone else control. 
but that honors Jesus and he is good. So I think that fourfold part is really, really strong. Um, you know, and, and as I reflect on the mess, I think helping people find their bail, I think that might've been one of the most important parts of camp is our leaders, just helping kids identify their bail because everyone's got one. It's always in the way. And, and we got to start choosing Jesus over it. So I think that, that little part of your bail is, um, what you spend time, energy, sacrifice is what you want to be known for. It is that weakness. It's a secret sin that, that the idol in your life has been hiding it so that it won't be exposed. Or it's, you know, it's a wayward relationship that just won't let you get close to Jesus. I think if we can help people find their bail and we can help them understand kind of biblical morality through the lens of brokenness, redemption, surrender, and honor, those, those two things play every day of life in every area of life as we try to disciple people. Yeah. Great word. Thank you, Pastor Christian, for uh, your wisdom on the podcast today. Thank you, listeners. We're glad you're here. We'd love to hear how God's working in your life, or if you've got a question for us that we can answer, you can email activate at takethejourney.cc. Otherwise, we look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.